HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. To the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with chef owner Amanda Cohn of Dirt Candy, um, an all vegetarian restaurant, all vegetarian restaurant in the East Village in New York City. We'll we'll talk about the difference between vegetarian and vegan later because it, it was a it was a point that in reading your amazing blog entries and uh, go to the website. Is it dirtcandynyc.com? Yeah, exactly. Um, your, 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 your writings and your scribings are hilarious, true. <laughs> and uh, I also sympathize with <laughs> how hard it is to run a small restaurant, but uh, just the journal entries there are kind of prophetic. I wish so. they weren't actually as funny or as true as they were. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was making it up. Yeah. But it's, that's what makes life so interesting. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but you have this amazing small restaurant in the East Village serving all vegetarian cuisine. Have you been a vegetarian your whole life? I was a vegetarian. Yeah. I am no longer a vegetarian. <laughs> when I was 15, I think just to sort of rebel against my family, I became a vegetarian. All my friends were becoming vegetarians. I was like, well, this seems like the cool thing to do. Yeah, rebel, so, though it's cheaper probably for your parents to buy vegetables and proteins. Yeah, at that point. I know. But at the time, it seemed wrong to be yeah. a vegetarian. It was almost 25 years ago so then I was like vegetarian that's so wrong how are you gonna live you're gonna die (laughs) um and now it's so funny because the world has changed so much that everybody eats less meat or most people eat less meat and there's so many more vegetarians and health conscious people 
Um, so it doesn't seem, I, I don't think becoming a vegetarian as a teenager anymore would be considered rebellious. Yeah. How about somebody that just eats molecular gastronomy or? That might be, <laughs> I think that would be very hard for one's parents to cook with yeah. only chemicals. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I was 15, I did become one. And then I sort of stuck with it. All my friends gave up being vegetarians. And then I just sort of realized I wasn't that interested in eating meat or fish or chicken. Uh, and then when I turned 30 or so, I just realized that I didn't think I was going to become a better chef by just being a vegetarian. And I really had had a couple of really bad vegetarian meals at fancy restaurants. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to get to taste what other chefs are doing if I'm just eating the vegetable plate, which at the time really was grilled vegetables. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Or like pasta or some other grain and then a ton of cheese on top. Yeah, exactly. And it was always, I mean, I went to one restaurant in the city, which I will not name. Uh, where I had specifically called and said, listen, I'm a vegetarian. Can you give me a vegetarian tasting? Because if you can't, I'll eat fish. I just started eating fish. And they were like, no, we can do it. And I was like, great. (laughs) And I swear I got five courses of salad. Different kinds of salads, but it was like dessert salad, entree salad, appetizer salad, amuse salad. And it cost the same as my parents' meals. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, we just paid $150 for me to eat lettuce. And I was like, that's it. Yeah, I'm that, done. That's what they feed the meat. Yeah, oh. <laughs> exactly. So I just started eating fish. And actually, I feel like it made me a better chef because I started being able to taste what other chefs cared about, which was the protein. So it was never kind of a morality thing. No. No, it was still rebellion seated from teenage (laughs) angst. No, nothing about the environment, nothing about health, no morals. (laughs) I was just like, I'm angry and I'm going to piss off my parents by making them buy more vegetables. I mean, do you think that vegetarian chefs can be great chefs without having a palate for meat? I think you can. I just think you limit yourself a lot because you you don't get to taste everything that's out there. And so, I mean, I know I've limited myself because I don't eat meat and I don't eat chicken. Um, And so I eat this very specific kind of food. I I eat seafood. Yeah. Um, And so, I I, I mean, I wonder would I be so much better because I often get meat eaters in the restaurant who just don't like my food. Yeah. They're like, well, it's just not good. I'm like, well, maybe that's because I don't know what you like. (laughs) Like, I have no idea what you're comparing it to. Yeah. But I also think you, you know, we've obviously done very well for ourselves at Dirt Candy. So maybe just eating fish is enough. Yeah. So, I mean, you're catering to a specific sect, but at the same time, there are flavor profiles in your dishes that are similar to smokiness, the umami, the, you know... Uh, nature of certain proteins right well we do try to capture that we don't i don't my goal is never to recreate make fake chicken or make fake meat but there is there's a taste sort of scale and you want to fall into that somewhere because that's what people recognize so when we do we have our smoked cauliflower dish and it is trying to somewhat remind people of you know like a smoky meat or um like bacon yeah (laughs) a lot of our food i think we're trying to recreate (laughs) bacon seems to be very popular um but people like instantly are like oh i recognize this taste it's just in a different form yeah i mean do you think there are advantages of having the same taste one in vegetarian and one with meat oh absolutely i think it's less scary yeah (laughs) i mean imagine the first time somebody ate Indian food, which has a completely different sort of flavor profile to anything in the Western world. 
they must have been shocked. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, okay, I have no idea what this curry is. Um, and, and Indian food is great. We use it a lot. Actually, a lot of the spices in the food at the restaurant. But for us, we, I don't want people to come and be like, I've never tasted anything like this before. I want them to say, oh, I've tasted something like this before. And this is even better. Yeah. Like, this is the best this can be. Now, the cauliflower dish, is it the one where it's the battered cauliflower? So it's kind of like fried chicken and waffles? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you also have a portobello mousse, which is one of your kind of linchpin dishes. It is. Um, and that a lot of people think of chicken liver. Chicken liver or foie gras. Yeah. Kita gave us $10,000 for creating the most realistic foie gras yeah. or vegan foie gras that there is out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to find some sort of taste sensation that vegetarians and vegans could have. I mean, people seem to love foie gras. It's yeah. something I have never <laughs> eaten. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to experience what people were like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. It's so creamy. It's so luxurious. And I was like, okay, can we do that in vegetarian food? Yeah. So, can you actually break down the dish? What are the components? For the portobello mousse, we have our... Um, Mousse and it's portobello mushrooms and cream and agar and it all gets blended together and it, it forms this very sort of we blend it so much it's very very creamy and you get this mouth feel of just kind of like hard melty cream I don't know how else to yeah. describe it it's very sensuous and it's it's just very luxurious in your mouth you're feeling the fat in your mouth and that's something that's hard to find in vegetables the fat. So we talk about this a lot. How do we put fat into a dish? Um, and then with the rest of the dish, it's served with truffle crostini and a pear and fennel compote. And then we also have these grilled mushrooms. We take portobellos and we slice them as thin as possible on the meat slicer. It's always very weird for people <laughs> when they come to the restaurant yeah. and they see a meat slicer. We're like, yeah, we use it all the time. And then we grill that. And the mushrooms themselves, once they're grilled, they're silky in your mouth. They're like, they have that smoky flavor from the grill, and they're very, very silky. And you put that together with the creamy mousse and the little bit of sweet, and it's perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, without having ever tasted foie, uh, how did you think this was similar to it? Did you ask other people's opinions? <laughs> I did, and I looked at pictures, and I read a lot. Yeah. And, you know, everybody talks about how creamy and fatty a good foie gras is. And, you know, I mean, the point of foie gras is it, the fat. Yeah. So how can we make it fatty? Yeah. Well, I just I just find it fascinating that I don't know if I've ever talked to a chef before who will literally recreate off of adjectives <laughs> and out of, like, descriptors. Yeah. Um, usually it's off of, like, this... Uh, this event, this, this, you know, taste profile from a past experience. Right. But it isn't from... Okay, that's how that's supposed to be. I can get there. I can get there. Well, we just, you know, we did the meatball event here and we had to create a vegetarian meatball. And I I don't think I've ever eaten a meatball in my life. I mean, maybe when I was like really young and we While had spaghetti sleeping, meatballs. One just sneaks in your yeah. <laughs> I mean, really old style spaghetti meatballs, I'm sure my mom made. But nothing that would be akin to the meatballs that people are making these days. So, I mean, I had to ask everybody I know what's a meatball? What does a meatball mean to you? What's it like? And it was funny because when we started creating it, we almost had the right taste, but everybody was like, it's just, it's not fatty and gristly enough. Like yeah. It's missing something. So I was like, okay, how do I create fat and gristle? 
we already had the fat because we knew we could do something with the portobello mousse and put that into it. So we changed the flavor in the mousse and we made a white fat. You can see pictures of it on our blog and it's just these big blocks of basically white fat. It looks like lard, but it's mushrooms. And then for the gristle, we were like, okay, how do we make gristle? (laughs) I don't know. Then we did some stuff with mushrooms and then we were trying to bind it and I don't know how to bind meatballs, but I'm Jewish. So I was like, okay, I'll put some matzo meal in there. And it all came together, but I had never tasted a meatball. Really? So in Jewish cuisine, you've never had like kreplach or like uh, cholent and... I mean, maybe before I was 15, but I was probably a little picky. Yeah. And I don't have a lot of memories of that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, this word that keeps on popping up, mouthfeel, a yeah. lot of Ashkenazi cuisine at least all has the same mouthfeel. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's for people to, from babies to the elderly without teeth to be able to chew and yeah, process exactly. without any worry. Um, aside from, you know, you saying fat and vegetables and... Uh, it being mainly mushroom, are there any other fats that you use in your cooking? I mean, butter, I'm assuming. We use butter, not as much as people think yeah. we use, but we do use butter and cream and lots of oils and coconut um, and nuts. We do, and mostly for our vegan customers, but we use a lot of nuts in it. And um, apart from that, actually, surprisingly, our food isn't as perhaps fat heavy as yeah. people assume it is we fry a lot and mm-hmm. so i think that more than anything you know yeah. most not all of our dishes but maybe two-thirds of our dish have at least one fried component on it and i do like deep frying but mostly it's because i'm trying to get something crispy that people have to bite into which is another thing that you kind of get with meat that you don't get with necessarily vegetables yeah well i mean what about like a maillard effect obviously it happens on the steak but it also happens on bread so, I mean, there's a lot of uh, sugars in right. certain vegetables that can create that crispiness, but then it quickly turns into <laughs> soft and puree and smooth and lose that texture. Well, exactly. And when we, we know we can't keep that texture, so we have to do something else. We have our, we had our butternut squash soup and it took like 12 hours to make. It was crazy. But we basically baked the butternut squash in a, in a butternut stock um, but we had very little of the stock in the squash so that the top of the squash just kept crisping over and over again. We kept moving it through the stock and we would get it to crisp on all sides. And then we had to puree it. And then we had to push it through <laughs> the chinois <laughs> like 12 times to get the very, very clear liquid. But we took all that flavor and made this broth. But it was like 12 gallons of liquid made a quart. So do you feel like the cooking processes are longer for you than if you were to use meat products? Yes. Yeah, I think so. And I think sometimes by accident, we might find the longest way to do it. (laughs) So, I mean, is it because you think you have to show the most technique? Because I know there was a while ago this debate about, you know, California cuisine or San Francisco specifically throwing some figs on a plate and, you know, that being done. Because your name, Dirt Candy, you know, literally (laughs) means that there's candy in the ground. I mean, these things are so amazing as is without manipulation uh why do you feel you have to manipulate these things for a restaurant well and it's funny because we get a lot of criticism for that we uh lots of people are like oh i wish there was just more fresh vegetables here and i think well that's not the restaurant that i'm making i'm making a different kind of restaurant so i don't think they have to be manipulated 
but I think there, there's a lot more interesting things that can happen. And the more we experiment, the more we learn about vegetables. I, I think I know nothing about vegetables. I know so little. And it's this whole new world that's opening up to me. And I've been cooking vegetables for probably 16 years. Um, but I've never solely focused on them before. And, and because there's so few people out there that are also cooking vegetables, it's like this territory is wide open and I'm on my own. And yeah. I have to find all these techniques and figure out what I can do. Um, it When you taste a vegetable in its raw state, you're probably getting its most true taste. And it can be really good. But you can do that at home. I don't. You don't need me to do that for yeah. you. If I just shave some broccoli and put it on a plate, hopefully it would be the best shaved broccoli you've ever <laughs> had. <laughs> but I would feel kind of guilty charging you money for it. And that's not the experience I want you to have at my restaurant. I want you to come and say, I never knew broccoli could do this. I never knew, or let's say the cauliflower dish. Oh, I never knew you could smoke a vegetable and then deep fry it and it would have this amazing, crunchy, smoky taste to it. Um, and some people would rather I just, you know, left the cauliflower untouched. But that's just not how my mind works. I, I want to do something exciting. I want to challenge what people think. I want them to be like, oh, I can't wait to see what she does next with cauliflower. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and see what's new on the horizon for vegetables at Dirt Candy. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Here with Amanda Cohn of Dirt Candy. Um, We've been talking all things vegetables, how some vegetables can taste meaty. Yes, they can. <laughs> and the new horizons, new ideas behind cooking vegetables, not just putting a fig on your plate. Um, and during the break, we were actually quickly discussing the idea of, you know, she, Amanda was talking about a whole bunch of fried components in dishes. And, uh, you know, fried fills you up. Fat fills you up. What's, uh, you know, sated in a restaurant? Are you going there to be, you know, satisfied or are you there to be full by the end of it? I think you're going to be satisfied and hopefully satisfied enough that you don't have to go and have a piece of pizza afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like we failed. But I also think people have unrealistic expectations about restaurants. And sometimes when people walk in, we want to give them a questionnaire. Like, what do you expect to get out of this experience here? Because maybe we'll tailor it. 
some people think our portions are tiny and some people think they're huge and can't like they're offended by how big they are <laughs> i've gotten letters or emails like how could you serve so much food and i'm always like i don't know yeah just seems like what people want um so for us you know people sit down and we have our little spiel and people are always like how much should we order and we say well we think you should get a snack and an appetizer and an entree per person and you know hopefully have room for dessert but people don't listen to us. And so often you see reviews where people are like, oh, you know, I got an entree and a dessert and I just wasn't full. And I think, well, <laughs> that's not my fault. Yeah. Like, you didn't do what we told you to do. And, and I'm sorry my entree isn't going to fill you up. But I'm not giving you a giant plate of food. That's not how I think of food. I, I think of food in terms of the whole meal. And I think when people don't go to a restaurant and experience a whole meal from start to finish then they're missing out on the chef's vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, each component should be able to stand on its own. But if there is an appetizer and an entree and a snack or a dessert, whatever it is, that's the experience of the restaurant. And that's what's going to satiate you. You're going to go through sort of the rainbow of flavors that the chef wants you to experience versus one that you've sort of made on your own. Yeah. I mean, has it been harder for you to define appetizer and entree in a vegetarian restaurant than it would be for a chef in a, you know, omnivorous one? It has. And I also think, you know, the world is changing. So you see a lot more small plates restaurants. And I think small plates can be really fun. But I also think it's a cop out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get in so much trouble now. (laughs) I'm going to get angry emails. Yeah, at least you're going to get just little plates waved at you (laughs) rather than larger ones. Big plates. Nobody's going to be smashing them over my head. Um, it's hard to make an entree. It's hard to make one dish out of a vegetable. It's hard, you know, and to find all its different components. So let's say we do get compared, I mean, we do get compared to other vegetarian or more vegetable focused restaurants. And a lot of them are smaller plates. They want you to have four or five plates. And I think, well, we work really hard to give you an entree. Like you would have it if you were a meat eater, um, and it is hard. You have to think of all these different components and how each bite will be different and how it's going to sustain you instead of through 10 bites and keep your interest through like 25 bites. And it sometimes seems impossible. Yeah. And, and we don't want to fall back on just a bowl of pasta. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you separate it in your head as, since you don't have proteins, <laughs> as starches, as grains, as, I mean, how do you actually construct a vegetarian entree? Well, we start with the vegetable, really. And then we try and figure out what goes with it. So we have our newest dish is the gnocchi. And it's the, we take green chard and we puree it and we make it into a really lovely gnocchi and it's bright green. But I also know that I, I don't want them to have like 40 pieces of gnocchi. <laughs> we yeah. count it all out, right? So it's about 20 per plate. Um, that's not going to give them the taste of chard. So we decide to grill chard and there's a, big pile of grilled chard on the bottom of the plate and then we have the pickled chard stems and then we have some jam and yogurt and all of that puts it together as one dish but it's all these different flavors of chard that you're getting and so we know that we have to have this one component that's probably the heaviest and that's the gnocchi but it's also the smallest component on the dish the, the real star of the dish is this grilled chard that's at the bottom and that's where you're getting like a big hunk of like vegetable yeah that would be our meat. Yeah. So, I mean, do you often go single subject? Like, say, yeah. chard, it's going to be this many iterations of chard yes. on the plate. Um, yes. So, and mushroom, 
mushroom. It's going to be, and not always different tastes of it. But yeah, I mean, our menu is labeled so that each dish is named after the vegetable. Yeah. So the chard is chard. Everything has an exclamation point. We're very excited about it. And mushroom is mushroom. And we do, we have this one vegetable and we want you to experience it in as many different flavors as possible. And it's hard because not a lot of vegetables have the most exciting flavors. You have to find the flavor. Like kohlrabi. Yeah. yeah. Or, or eggplant. Yeah. Eggplant's beautiful, but eggplant's a texture. Mm-hmm. It, it's The taste is very, very subtle. Um, you know, mushroom's a strong flavor. It's very easy to rely on. We try not to use mushrooms a lot because I think a lot of vegetarian restaurants are the vegetarian dish. Almost always has a mushroom yeah. in it. Um, and then something like... Well, carrot actually has a very strong flavor, so we're lucky in that. Broccoli, in the end, actually is much more of a texture than it is a flavor. It has a green vegetal flavor to it, but it's more of a texture. Yeah. I want to just mention carrot because I actually, I've had your carrot steam bun a couple times, and it's absolutely delicious. So that was just a plug for how how good (laughs) carrot steam buns can be. Um, But I I realized the difference between, so let's have raw broccoli, which most people eat as crudités, and dip in ranch, and uh, cooked broccoli, obviously two different tastes. How does raw to cook differ in vegetables uh, versus meat? Well... I, that's a tough one for me to answer. Yeah. Um, or what you've Well, heard I'm trying to me. think about yeah. fish, actually. Raw fish to cooked fish. A raw piece of fish, it's, I mean, hopefully it's a lot more about the texture, right? And sushi is more about the texture yeah, than... Yeah, and you get all that clean, uh, yeah. all that, all that, you know, very base fresh, minerality, yeah. fresh, yeah. Oceany taste. A cooked piece of fish... Is usually more about what it's sitting on top of. <laughs> yeah. Like it's about the sauce and maybe a crispy piece of skin and a nice flakiness versus, um, but that's about the accompaniments. A piece of great sashimi is all about just this one beautiful briny texture in your mouth. Yeah. Um, in a vegetable, I think the cooked ends up being a lot more, again, about the accompaniment mm-hmm. than. This is a great question, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, Practicing all day. (laughs) (laughs) Then the raw, I mean, a raw carrot's a raw carrot, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can eat a raw carrot because there's lots of vegetables like an eggplant. Let's say that you don't really want to eat raw. It's not so good. Yeah. Um, Carrot's about that crunchy, slight bite of sweetness. If you have a cooked carrot, eh. The texture is not so interesting. No, it's like glaze the shit out of yeah. it. Yeah, but you get a nice bite of sweetness. Yeah. So then do you care a lot about sourcing? Do you have to have the best, most pristine no. carrot to be able to make your carrot dish or the best, you know, forged mushroom to make your mushroom dish? No, we're so cheap at the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> and we're so lazy. Um, I kind of, we are writing this cookbook and there we have these discussions about how complicated my recipes are and i'm like yeah it's true but it's fine because you can buy everything at the supermarket yeah i really think of myself as this supermarket restaurant partially because we don't use exotic ingredients and partially because most of the time we run out of things and we have to go to the supermarket yeah. to buy it <laughs> and we're not really picky the corner market it's just fine it's good convenience cooking yeah, yeah exactly but i mean it's cool too because it bridges that gap of you know you see these cookbooks and you can only get this uh, ingredient on the shorelines of this remote island right you know a carrot is a carrot and a good carrot's a good carrot it doesn't actually have to have a fancy like black bush new 
way fancy carrot, <laughs> like whatever the heirloom carrot is called. It's a carrot. It yeah. should taste good. If it tastes good, that's all that matters. And for me, that's what's really important and the ease of getting the carrot. I would love to go to the green market more often. I do not have time to mm-hmm. go. Um, we have great purveyors and they bring stuff to us, but that's about as far as I go and caring about what kind of vegetable I have. And, you know, sometimes people at the restaurant are like, oh, you know, this is a great carrot. What is it? I'm like, carrot. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a carrot. It's like from Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah. where it's just Acme carrot. Yeah, exactly. Just the most generic carrot there is. Um, you know, and sometimes I'll ask my purveyors, I'm like, oh, do you have this specialty tomato? And they're like, lady, we've got tomatoes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll just take the tomato. It's fine. Yeah. It, it, I also don't think food should be intimidating. And there's lots of restaurants that do it well. But for me to sit down at a restaurant and look at a menu, I'm not sure I actually care which farm my carrot came from. Just because I think, I'm, I'm assuming this restaurant that I'm at is doing the best they can. And it's a great plug for the farm. Let's say, let's say more not the where are the carrots from, but the name, the specialty name mm-hmm. of the carrot. Um, it, that's not really going to enhance my experience. Somehow I might get tricked into paying more. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not sure it's going to make my dish taste that much taste that much better. So it, I, I'm not sure like the origin of the carrot yeah. is that important. I, I mean, I sometimes do find it a cop out because I've had dishes where uh, the the type and the farm has been quoted, you know, on, <laughs> verbatim on the menu. And then the dish just fell flat. Right, exactly. I mean, if you don't do something good with the carrot, there is no point to it. Um, it doesn't mean I don't think local farms are great. Yeah. <laughs> Farm-to-table cooking, all of that is really great. I just, I don't want people to be intimidated when they come to the restaurant. They're having carrot risotto. It's not heirloom carrot risotto. It's just carrot risotto. Mm-hmm. I want people to be able to go home and make it. Part of what I'm trying to do is get people to eat more vegetables. Yeah. And so if I make it intimidating... Why would they ever want to go home and make it? If they feel like, oh, I'm never going to be able to find these carrots. How am I going to do it? Yeah. I'm like, well, so there's a bag of dole carrots. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, the battles to win the war. Yeah, exactly. So, and part of bridging this gap is a forthcoming cookbook, which I'm very excited to yes, see. Yes, as we are. <laughs> yeah, comes out summer next year. It just popped up on Amazon. I know this because my <laughs> father has a Google search on dirt candy and he's like, look, it just popped up yeah. yesterday. August 21st is oh, its release awesome. date. Yeah, I will buy that for my birthday, <laughs> which is soon thereafter. The cookbook, obviously, dirt candy recipes, vegetarian focus, but has a very cool aesthetic to it. It does. We, it's a graphic novel. So it really tells the story of the restaurant in its first two years, let's say, two, two and a half years. Uh, We found a great artist, and I'm so excited because I'm a cartoon character, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm pretty cute. Yeah, and are you a dork about cartoons? Do you love them? Did did you seek out this specific artist? Um, We actually were going to use somebody else first, and because we thought this artist would never work with us that you you know he was too busy and too good his name is ryan dunleavy and he the first artist fell through and then we were like well maybe he'd want to do it let's try it he uh was the artist on a book called the action philosophers which is great which is amazing both educational and hilarious yeah exactly i mean if you ever want to know anything about philosophers this is the book to read and he said yes and we were like This is amazing. His art is fabulous, and his attention to detail is more than I could have possibly hoped for. Yeah. So we 
people had started proposing this idea to us of a cookbook and I did not want to do one. I was just absolutely against it. I was like, I have nothing to add to the cookbook market. Yeah. There are so many cookbooks out there. And apparently, in terms of books, cookbooks are the only thing that make money right now. They're yeah. the only thing that sell in like... Bread and butter. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in like, you know, hardcover, put on your table, look at a book. Um, so when they kept approaching me, I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then one day we were just sort of like, what if we drew the whole thing out? I was like, well, that's a really interesting concept because we could make these complicated recipes seem so much simpler if we broke it up into panels and we drew it out and people wouldn't be so intimidated by it. So we put together a whole proposal and then everybody who had originally come to us were like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, there's no way this will never happen. And apparently we weren't the first people who wanted to do a graphic cookbook, um, but we were the people who persevered the most and finally somebody bought it Clarkson Potter and it is shaping up to look pretty interesting I haven't it's weird because I think with most cookbooks you see a lot of it as you're going along with it Uh, but because so much of it's drawn that we just keep getting back these chunks but we don't see it until we get back these chunks yeah yeah it it's a very exciting thing. I've gone through a couple of cookbooks, but like when you're in the eye of the storm, <laughs> you, you bend down the hatches. And Well, right now we've come out, I think, of the worst part where we were like, we're never going to get through this. And there's so many edits. And why don't they like anything we've done? Um, and apparently everybody goes through that. I've heard that from people. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's part of the growing pain. Yeah. <laughs> but we've just seen most of the final artwork, not inked, but all drawn out. And we kind of cried. And even our editors were like, this looks so good. So it feels good. It feels like this is something that people are going to want to buy. And it's funny. And it's a story of the restaurant. And there's lots of history of vegetarianism and um, lots of techniques. And then the recipes. Yeah. Uh, One last question. You have a quote on your website that says anyone can cook a hamburger, but leave the vegetables to the professionals. Who is that? Who? That's We made it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's our quote. And... I think it's having come from gone to so many restaurants where we were just like, okay, these people who make this great food that people are raving about, they just, just ruined this plate of vegetables. They ruined these heirloom carrots, whatever it was that they were making. So I, you know, it's my way of saying I'm here. Let me do it for you. Excellent. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, stop by dirt candy. Pay attention to your dirt candy. Don't just let that, (laughs) you know, carrot fade away into oblivion thank you so much for being on and looking forward to seeing the cookbook great thank you excellent you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.com hope to have you back here next tuesday at three cheers